Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now about midway in our fourth season, and we remain just as excited as ever to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we continue our series on Earth Day Month, which is we've been doing all of April, and hopefully you all have been out there for many Earth Day celebrations. And today we're going to be focusing in on how individuals are taking action to move things forward for the planet. How are individuals best investing in our planet? You know, have you ever wondered what it would be like if we celebrated Earth Day every day? You know, what if we made small changes in our daily lives to protect and preserve our our planet, even on those days and weeks when it's not Earth Day? So let's say this same time in in June, July or August. Uh, Earth Day is celebrated, as we know, every year on April 22nd, and it serves as a reminder to us all to take care of our planet. However, this year, we're taking it a step further. And again, our commitment is to make Earth Day every day. You know, we all talk about the importance of protecting our planet. But are we actually doing anything about it? It takes time to take action and make changes in our daily lives to protect our environment. But by making small changes, we can all make a big impact. You know, so again, let's talk about and we want to explore today and encourage us all to invest in our planet by indeed making Earth Day every day. You know, as the world becomes increasingly aware of the environmental challenges we face, more and more individuals are taking action. But, of course, more and more need to take action to help drive things forward for the planet from, again, those very small lifestyle changes to large scale initiatives, some of which we talked about this month. People around the world are indeed beginning to step up to make a difference. Now, climate change and its devastating effects have been a crucial topic worldwide, other than just Earth Day Month, of course. Uh, And that's because the planet is in danger, and we're seeing it every day. And it's up to us to take the action to save it. Many individuals are making a conscious effort to reduce their carbon footprint, as well as to contribute to a sustainable future. But how much are people investing in their own individual actions to save the planet? Well, you know, many people, again, are just coming off of a month of celebrations and challenges and other ways of being intentional about honoring our planet Earth. Uh, but some of the things that we're seeing individuals doing to take action are, are things involving reducing our, our plastic waste. 
because that is indeed one of our top environmental problems. But individuals are indeed taking action to reduce their plastic consumption and to help prevent it from piling up in landfills and, and oceans. You know, you've got people doing things such as, as choosing to bring their own reusable bags and water bottles and even coffee cups. Uh, we've got also looking at and have people who are drilling down on sustainable agriculture. And, of course, that's a very important part of protecting our, our planet. You know, many individuals are, again, making those intentional steps to take action to support it. And this can include things such as buying organic or locally grown produce, supporting our small-scale farmers, you know, going to farmers markets and things of that nature, as well as people also choosing to reduce their meat consumption because meat and the production of meat takes up an awful lot of land and it generates an awful lot of pollutants. Other things that people are doing include uh, renewable energy because that is a key component for us to have the sustainable future that we're looking for. Many individuals are taking actions such as uh, investing in solar panels for their homes or choosing energy efficient appliances and then supporting companies that prioritize renewable energy. And then, of course, it's, it's a perfect time to switch to an electric or a hybrid vehicle when purchasing your next car. And this, too, can significantly reduce your footprint and help protect the planet for the future. We also see people and all of us can look at using eco-friendly products. That's a, a, a just an important investment in the planet that each and every one of us can do. We can switch to products that are made from sustainable materials, uh, to products that are biodegradable, and then actually reduce our, our plastic consumption by reusing uh, or using reusable bags and water bottles and other containers. And then there's the big one that is supporting sustainable companies, supporting the companies by doing your research to see which ones of those are prioritizing sustainability and then investing in them by buying and promoting their products or, or services. And this can include companies that, that have switched over to renewable energy or companies that have a very intentional and identifiable commitment to reducing their own carbon footprint. And then, of course, you've got people getting involved in local initiatives and advocating for change. We can all do that as well by joining local environmental groups, participating in community uh, cleanups or volunteering at nature preserves. And again, all of this helps to raise the awareness as well as make those incremental steps in taking care of the environment around us. Uh, you can also promote change by signing petitions or contacting your elected officials and participating in rallies by speaking out so that your voices can be heard and the decision makers know which way we want our environment, our economy to go. So now this is a lot. And so I have to ask how effective is it? How effective are a lot of these individual actions and why should we all care? So here today, though, to help us explore and unpack this some more are some very smart people. Today we have with us Becca and Luke McGraw. They are with Leave No Trace. Uh, they are part of its Subaru team members. And they are as well experienced educators who share a passion for and a desire to promote sustainability and inclusion in outdoor recreation. 
Uh, they work with underserved communities in the Cherokee Nation in Ecuador and Palestine. As a married couple, they currently live out of a Subaru, traveling the country full-time, educating others about good stewardship practices in the uh, outdoors. And uh, when Luke is not busy otherwise, he climbs for Team USA, paraclimbing as a blind climber, and Becca is his sight guide. Welcome, Becca and Luke. How are you today? We're good. Thanks so much, Bernice. We're so glad to be here. Thank thank you you. so much for for making time to join us. We greatly appreciate it. Our other guest is Brandon Schauer. Brandon is uh, a senior vice president with the rare.org. And there at rare, oh, it rhymes, (laughs) Brandon is head of climate culture. Now, RARE operates on the premise that human behavior is the root of our global conservation and development challenges and that changing our behavior is the single most important thing we can do to ensure the long-term health of the natural world. They believe that behavioral problems require behavioral solutions and such they are a leading behavioral change organization in the conservation world. And Brandon heads a program at RARE named Climate Culture. And it's designed to help Americans adopt the behaviors that have the biggest impact on reducing carbon emissions. And today, Brandon uh, Culture Team aimed to have an outsized effect on what emission-reducing behaviors we consider to be our new norm. Welcome, Brandon. That's a lot. Did I get all of that right? You nailed it. Thank you so much, Bernice. So, so good to be here. We've got just a, a few minutes to go before we go to break. Brandon, could you tell us, though, about climate culture and how and why you all came into being and why you have the mission Absolutely. that you do? Absolutely. So um, first, let me explain a little bit about RARE. We are a um, nonprofit that works throughout the world, and we apply behavior science to what we call common pool resource issues things where we all share something and there's a limited amount of it. Uh, so we've done great things for using behavior science to, do, uh, to uh, restore fisheries throughout the world, for example, so that everyone chooses restorative fishing practices. Even though that may not get you the best haul today, it gets you and future generations the best haul over the lifetime of the fishery. So climate culture came into being realizing that these same challenges existed um, with the common resource we have of our atmosphere and the limited amount of carbon we can really use to, to preserve uh, the planet in the way we, we want to and we want for future generations. So really asking, hey, behavior science and personal emissions, what, what is the connection there? And so our team went off and did some research to go, hey, what, what really are the high impact behaviors that people could take and the great news was we came back and it wasn't a hundred different things that people would have to do to have a big impact. It was actually four or five, six behaviors that really had the biggest impact and it really added up. Uh, and so that really kicked off for Rare a new program to say, okay, well, then what can we do to help partners, um, help through our own pilots and programs, help people change their behaviors to the things that had the be- better long-term impact of reducing carbon emissions and uh, creating the kind of world we want in the future. 
Interesting, interesting. We're going to go ahead and go to break now. But when we come back, though, I'd like to to talk about those uh, six biggest behaviors and have you review again for us how we how we well tell us how we pick those six. Thank you. We'll be right back on the other side for just really to continue to begin this very interesting conversation. Uh, we will be with back with Brandon Shower with Rare and Becca and Luke with Leave No Trace. Thank you all. We'll be right back. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods, grocers, natural grocers, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, Serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas. Offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on Earth Day Month, Investing in Our Planet. And today we're digging deeper into how some individuals uh, have been investing in our planet. And today we've got Brandon Shower with Rare. And we have Becca and Luke McGraw with Leave No Trace with their Subaru routines. Again, thank you all for being with us. And we have our guest host, our green businessman of our own, Trammell Crow, uh, back with us today as well. Thank you, Trammell, for making time to join us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. So before the break, Brandon, you were telling us that you had found there were six behaviors that had the biggest impact to, I guess, redirect or affect, impact people's behavior so that we could move forward with conserving and lowering our emissions. So tell us more. What, what are those six? Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, people tend to not know what these are. When we ask, you know, what are the, the highest impact things you can do, oftentimes recycling is the very first thing people mention. And it's hugely important. We should all recycle right. But also from a climate change perspective, from an emissions creation perspective, isn't necessarily the biggest impact of, of all the behaviors we looked at. So what I want to do is help present these by dividing them up into three areas of your life. First of all, like your home, how you power your life. So if you own a home, if you control your rooftop, getting solar, rooftop solar is a huge emissions reductor. But if you don't have that, uh, if you're a renter or if you can't uh, put solar onto your rooftop, community solar is a new solution that's becoming more available, um, whereby you contribute and get solar from a uh, community-installed solar program. You really just sign up. It takes a few minutes, and the cost isn't that different from your normal utility bill. So a new solution that's going to be emerging over time. Then another category, the food you eat. So 
eating more veggies or particularly eating less beef than you do today takes a lot of carbon out of the supply chain. Um, so it's a huge change just to switch from beef to another form of, of meat or just going with veggies entirely. Related to uh, your food also is cutting your food waste. So the amount of food that you buy or the amount of food that you put into uh, the trash it can eliminate a lot of methane. Um, or if you're buying less, you're shopping a little bit wiser, you save money, um, and you're cutting, an, an, again, a lot of carbon out of the supply chain for food. Third area of your life you'll hit, uh, I want to hit is your ride, your way of getting around, right? Um, you mentioned uh, driving electric vehicles. There are a whole lot of more options out there coming to market than Teslas. Um, I, I now drive a VW that's a electric vehicle, right? Um, there are Chevys. There are a number, and they're getting cost advantageous, so they are actually going to be as cheap as or cheaper in the long run than, uh, than your normal internal combustion engine uh, kind of vehicles. And then the other way to change uh, your ride is just getting around greener. That could be flying less. Um, particularly for business travel, um, but it can also just mean using the mass transit and other means that are all already available to you. Um, there's a lot of uh, electric mobility that's coming out as well to a lot of places in terms of e-bikes and other things that you can rent and get a lot around much greener. So there's a lot of things, a lot of simple lifestyle changes that are accessible to a lot of us that have this really, really big impact to emissions. Indeed. And the first uh, couple that, well, the ones that you mentioned with regard to food, it's interesting that you say that because those are also the ones that many wellness professionals are pushing as well. That is to eat less meat or go to a plant-based diet. You know, that's how, that's how God first made us. <laughs> and so there's a big push, a lot of energy from that community also that's moving us towards that. Um, now, I like the idea you mentioned of, of a community solar. Are those popping up all around the, uh, the country? Because is that something that has to be driven by the particular neighborhood or community? Or Yes, um, that can often be driven by the, the neighborhood or community. And uh, with the new Inflation Reduction Act funding that's available to states and communities, um, there's more funding now available from the federal government to help create community solar projects um, in any neighborhood, um, but also particularly funding for disadvantaged neighborhoods that um, may not otherwise uh, have the means to receive these kind of uh, benefits that you get from, from changing your energy source. So I think there's a lot of great news that, as I mentioned, it's a limited availability right now, um, but it's going to be opening up as, as the months and years go forward. I want to move now to Becca and Luke. And, and your area that you operate in is, is outdoor recreation. Why is that so important to us? And are there statistics that help us understand it better? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, Bernice, on your show all the time you ask, well, why should we care? And I think that missing piece for a lot of people is outdoor recreation. Um, you can't love what you don't know. And so for a lot of people, this the start of wanting to make any behavior changes, especially when the behavior changes maybe aren't necessarily easy. Um, maybe they're uncomfortable. Maybe people love meat, don't want to eat less meat. But um, spending time in nature and really communing and starting to really enjoy the natural world might encourage people to start to make some of those decisions. Now, you all work with uh, Leave No Trace and could you tell us more about that and how it got started? And, and tell us about your, I guess, your, your outdoor ethic. Yeah. 
So Leave No Trace was an initiative that was initially started by the government um, back, you know, many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, um, to address some impacts um, that were popping up in the backcountry in a lot of national parks. People were starting to see lots of trash and human waste and things like that. And, um, you know, the government was like, we need to, to take some ownership of this and promote some better um, behaviors here. So we created this initiative, Leave No Trace. It quickly branched off and became its own nonprofit. Um, and we have continued um, talking about outdoor recreation and how to do that responsibly since then. Of course, it's expanded from just talking about, you know, backcountry backpacking to um, anything that you could do outside and even things that you would want to do in your daily life just um, as they relate to spending time outside. Um, and our goal really is to help people develop an outdoor ethic. And what we mean by outdoor ethic is um, just a basis for good decision-making, for knowing what are responsible actions in the outdoors, what promotes health for you and the planet, and what doesn't. So we are really just trying to help people make those um, beneficial decisions. So you, you started, and I'm very not surprised, but I, I had no idea that Leave No Trace was started by the government. I'm, I've been familiar with Leave No Trace for a while, but it had no idea it was started by the government. That's very interesting. But you started out uh, having a focus uh, of concern in the, in the backcountry and the, I guess the very large national parks and things like that. How does Leave No Trace, though, interact now with a lot of our urban areas? Because that, in many cases, that's a source of trash. I know for us here in North Texas, we have the, the Trinity River and the Elm Fork, and, and, and that seems to be a perennial source of complaints about trash in our urban nature spaces as well as waterways. Yeah, urban nature spaces are so important. They're, I mean, incredibly important for community health in all sorts of ways. Um, and everything that is beneficial in the backcountry also works in an urban setting. So those beneficial behaviors that, um, you know, a backpacker would use deep in the backcountry um, would also help anyone spending time at a park or going to, a, um, you know, an urban natural space. So we really want to expand that uh, information and let people know that, hey, this isn't just something that's for people who want to go on a five-day backpacking trip. This is something that you can do as you take a walk in the park, as you, you know, spend time with your family outside. So these are really approachable behaviors, approachable information that is applicable everywhere. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in more urban settings talking about things like dog poop. Um, leaving dog waste out can pollute water sources. It can get other animals sick. It can get other dogs sick. It can make people very sick just because there's so many pathogens and bacteria in the dog waste and ingredients that aren't natural. And so in the same way that we're talking about dog waste um, in the you know, front country in more urban settings, and we're talking about human waste in the back country, the same sort of principles apply, you know, pack it out. Um, and so we do a lot of work talking with things like that. And one of the most rewarding things for me talking with people in these urban settings, um, Leave No Trace does do a lot of work in urban areas, is that we do see a lot of people become more inspired to then maybe head out on their first camping trip. Um, one of the great things about Leave No Trace is that it helps people to feel like they really have a sense of that they know what to do in the outdoors and that they know how to treat it right. Because people who go out into nature are out there because they love it. And so helping people to feel like, you know, you could do this backpacking trip. You could go out car camping with your family or take a long road trip with your, with your spouse um, is a very rewarding part of our work. 
Indeed. And I know that I, I work here in, in North Texas with some urban outdoor nature space focused organizations. And we are seeing more people uh, begin to, especially since COVID, begin to have an interest in those spaces. But that, as you mentioned, it probably drives even more the necessity uh, for uh, taking care of it. So how has climate change, though, Becca and Luke, how has climate change changed uh, our concerns and how you do things as it relates to preservation of our outdoor nature spaces? What has been the impact of climate change? It's definitely affected um, our sense of urgency. Um, these behaviors and all these um, these trips into the outdoors do have a cumulative impact. So, you know, there are over 13 billion trips into the outdoors in the U.S. each year. Um, so that has the potential for a lot of impacts, whether that's people leaving trash or human waste or pet waste or whatever that is. Um, those things add up. And as our um, environment is changing, as we're seeing more sort of erratic weather patterns and droughts and um, things like that, especially crucial that people understand the consequences of their actions. Things like campfires, you know, seem so innocent, but if you're in a, an area with a really heavy drought, that can cause a it really extreme impact. wildfire. And Luke, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna, we're going to need to go to break really quickly, but on the other side, yeah. we'll get right back to talking about the impacts of climate change uh, on our outdoor recreation space. Thank you so much. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back on the other side uh, to get smarter. Thank you. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to our last show uh, on this month's Earth Day month, and uh, the theme of which is investing in our planet. And today we're digging into how individuals are taking action to move things forward for the planet. And we have back with us Brandon Schauer with Rare, and he is head of their climate culture program. And we have uh, Becca and Luke, and they are with Leave No Trace, and they are part of that, that Subaru team, and they really are making us smarter. So thank you all. Now, right before the break, Luke was talking to us about the, some of the impacts of climate change on outdoor recreation and the work that you all do and, and, and what things that you're seeing. I think that climate change is just really changing the landscape, both physically and kind of in a more metaphorical mm -hmm. sense. It's uh, it's changing how we recreate. It's, you know, things like, you know, water recreation and all that sort of off-road use and things like that are um, having more and more impacts. But there's also the opportunity for a lot of positive impacts. So, you know, with that large population of people recreating in the outdoors, it can, you know, we can have the potential to affect things in a negative way, um, like we talked about before the break. But we can also, you know, all practice responsible behaviors and maintain these spaces as, you know, climate change continues to affect them. If we are all practicing these responsible behaviors, we have you know, a really good chance of, of maintaining them um, for you know, generations to come. So I think as we talked about, though, we're seeing more people in using uh, and hanging out <laughs> in our, our outdoor recreation spaces. And climate change is, is causing a lot of um, extreme weather events, which I have to think, is there any statistics or anything in terms of the effects of these extreme weather events on our outdoor recreation? W would it be eliminating some spaces, changing the landscape of a lot of spaces, or just not, I, I don't know, having any impact or difference? What do you think? 
Absolutely. Something that we see often is, um, for example, during the, the huge floods in Yellowstone last summer, we were up near, um, near like South, the South Dakota area for some work and doing some camping. And we saw many, many families who had to reroute their trips completely. And so then these areas that they maybe weren't planning on visiting were getting more visitation. And so then we have to kind of look at things like overcrowding is a possibility, a strain on facilities is a possibility, even in some of these very remote areas, landfills are very much a concern. Um, there actually are some national parks with landfills in them. And so thinking through these things and thinking through how people can maybe plan their trips around seasonal weather patterns is very important. And that would apply also for things like wildfire areas. Um, I'm sure we'll see some of that this summer, now you, I'm sorry, Becca, you mentioned that people would, were having to reroute their trips. Why so? Well, if you're a family and you've rented an RV and you're going to drive across the country and you're going to hit maybe, you know, Yellowstone and the Tetons, and then maybe you'll go to see Mount Rushmore if that's your jam. Um, but now a huge part of your trip has been flooded and okay. you have to completely reroute that. And we also saw the same thing in um, Utah when um, Lake Powell there dried up and people that used to be a huge recreation area and now we're seeing some of the effects of that. And so I think we're going to see things like this, unfortunately, across the country. And we haven't even mentioned the wildfires yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, Absolutely. climate change via extreme weather events is seems to be having a, a, a pretty substantial impact on our outdoor recreation areas. It does. But I think that um, one way to kind of look at it is that if your vacation gets weathered out, you might feel more of a sense of urgency. And you, that's when you might come back to connect with some of these organizations that look at climate change on a larger level. Might well. generate more empathy in people and instigate more activity, I understand. Trammell, I'm going to throw it to you to um, talk with our guest. Thank you. I was wondering what uh, Brandon would have to say about what Becca just said. Brandon, it was the human behavior you study, and uh, uh, she's saying, that they just have to avoid the forest fires, can't go to Lake Powell or Mead. Could you try to say what parts of the country might not have this, as many problems considering climate change when they recreate? I think that uh, when you look at uh, the nation as a whole, each region, people stand to recognize something different that's changing in their environment. It could be sea level rise, it could be flooding, it could be storms, it could be um, any number of things. But in many cases, it's things they love locally that is put at risk, and they start to notice the difference. And I think some of the important thing is how do you connect to people when you're asking them to take an action, whether it's to practice certain ethics like leave no trace, whether it's take on behaviors that reduce their emissions, like the climate culture program I lead. How do you connect that thing that they love or find precious to an actions they can take to do something about it? And how do you, Brendan? <laughs> Since yeah, you brought that question. up. <laughs> Climate change is a, and, and sustainability is a world that's awash in data and facts. But the trouble is that's often not the thing that motivates people. So we talked about one thing of, of an emotional connection, right? The, the, the idea that something that they love could be at risk. Um, but there, uh, there's other things as well. We've done a lot of research into the behaviors we try to promote. Um, we've done some national studies uh, getting input from from Americans. And the thing that we've found is that 
social norming is actually the most powerful form, the most powerful lever to get people to try out new things and make changes. So um, that can include things like social expectations, like the ethics that we talked through for Leave No Trace, but it can also just be noticing that other people are starting to make changes as well. Like you don't want to be the last one who's still ordering that big beef burger at lunch when other people are, are trying something different. And in fact, we know from research, the best predictor of you installing solar on your roof isn't like your, your uh, demographics or something else. It's that your neighbor has solar. Indeed, right. There's yeah. this almost fear of missing out that starts to happen of like other people are starting to change and I need to get with the program yeah. and change too. Going back to the homeowner and this is it, one of the biggest decisions that can be made to help. How, how often is it that trees just cover up too much of the houses to make it worthwhile? I've, I've had that problem here. Exactly. And it, and it gets uh, difficult for homeowners of like, which is the better action to take? Um, you know, should I, should I cut down a little bit of a tree to, to get solar on my rooftop? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that can be the challenge with some of these behaviors is the knowledge of can I do it and what should I do? Um, and we find that as well as one of the biggest predictors is that if you believe you can do it, it's a much greater likelihood of you engaging. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, I think a great program is Google's Project Rooftop, where you can go and type in your address and it can share with you your likelihood of being able to install uh, solar in a rooftop yeah. because of trees, because of shade, because of the angle of your roof. You said the trade-off between uh, the, the shade of the tree and the uh, emissions saved by less air conditioning, I suppose. Is, is As a general rule, do the trees not shade the house enough to compensate for extra air conditioning? Uh, it's hard to have a general rule because it depends yeah. on days of sunlight in your local area. Uh, it depends on the kinds of trees, whether they are deciduous or not. Uh, and so that's why I suggested the Project Sunroof, who uh, is an example of, of it can give you a quick assessment, as well as there are uh, many national and regional installers where you can actually get the professionals who know best the local conditions and help you think through those decisions. Now, on those installers and so forth, are, are there national companies or is it really uh, regional and local? Uh, there are both. Um, there are three or four national providers. Energy Sage is one I often uh, uh, point people to because they actually uh, get quotes from many different providers. Yeah, you know, but that 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 points me to maybe that there not maybe there needs to be a study on that in terms of looking at the savings of the tree cover shade versus the solar panels. Probably the solar panels uh, went out over time, but that's a that's a great area there. Nature and the beauty and the value of trees around a house or, or home ownership property versus solar panels on the roof. That's why I brought up community solar is another great solution because you don't always have to go to your own rooftop to, uh, to, to be a part of this new wave of how energy will be created. But how much community solar is there out there? Uh, you said it's a new area. It is a new area, and people can sign up for it um, as an indicator of, I want things to be built in my neighborhood. Um, so you can even sign up to, to indicate a desire for capacity so that um, more types of solutions are built out in the future. Is there more community solar with new, new developments, new construction, Sunbelt? 
Uh, I think it's coming. The, all indicators are that the capacity is coming and um, that, that uh, more and more people will have access to it over the coming years. I am excited about the community solar. It seems to bode well, but it seems as though to me, too, there's going to need to be a number of demonstration projects out there. I don't know. Are there some projects already on the ground of community solar you can tell us about on the other side of the break, Brandon? We'll be right back, though, but we do need to go to break now. We want to give a shout-out to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. This is our last show in our 2023 Earth Day Month series. And today we're talking about how individuals are taking action to move things forward for the planet. And we've got some smart people here to help us. We have Brandon Shower with Rare, and we have Becca and Luke McGraw with Leave No Trace in their Subaru team. And we have back with us as guest co-host our own green businessman, Trammell Crow, as well as philanthropist and founder of EarthX which is, is uh, recently wrapped up a lot of activity as well as a number of superb conferences. But still, uh, in the coming months, they're going to be having their film festival. And we'll let Trammell talk a little bit about that before we uh, close out the show. But getting back to our guest, I want to talk to Becca and, and Luke a little bit more about how do you think is best to get more folks quicker to understand the real environmental consequences of their actions as it relates to what they put out, the trash, and the things they put in our nature spaces, which are so valuable? That's a great question. Probably the best way for people to learn, and we've done a lot of research on this, and you know, if you're interested, please check out the Leave No Trace website. It's lnt.org. Um, but the best way to learn is through personal interaction. So hearing from an, another person and you know, receiving that education face-to-face, in person, um, is the most effective way to, for people to hear that information, to internalize it. It really puts the burden on all of us to, um, to know that information and be able to share that with the people around us that, you know, within our sphere of influence so that, that you know, the information about the real consequences of our actions can, um, can be passed on and, and so that everyone can understand. I also think that a lot of people are um, very attracted to and motivated by science and data. So all of our Leave No Trace recommendations are not just the pet peeves of the people at the Leave No Trace office. These things are all backed in science and data. For example, the average American creates 
4.9 pounds of trash a day, which is too much. Um, we're just using too much. And so for us, we live out of our car. And so we have to carry around our trash every day. And so we kind of have turned it into a game of how long can we use this one single trash bag before we have to throw it away. And so really kind of putting that burden on yourself of monitoring yourself. And if you care, doing taking small actions to show that you care. And I want to jump back to, to uh, Brandon quickly, too. Uh, before the break, uh, I know you, Trammell, and you were talking a lot about these community solar, which I, I, I'm excited about those. Can you point us to or have there been any successful community solar programs around that people can, can look at? Sure. Um, I'm excited about one that's in the works uh, that we're uh, participating in in uh, Boston, where the initiative called China Initiative um, both looks at, of course, the emissions benefit of of using funding to uh, create a community solar program, but also the co-benefits of job creation, job training to create a new workforce to both build out and maintain community solar programs. So uh, I think that's another exciting thing about building out the capacity of more community solar for Americans is that it's also a a ton of new jobs. Um, In fact, uh, to reach the kind of electrification we need overall, there's just going to need to be a ton of more electricians uh, in the U.S. Um, And so I think that's an exciting uh, part of modernizing the grid and modernizing uh, our behaviors. Indeed. Let me ask you, though, about this particular project. I'm really trying to envision it, and with that, give everybody else kind of a vision. Is this where you have a bunch of solar panels on some building or in a field or something, and they, they are powering a particular discrete and maybe discreetly identifiable neighborhood with all its power. How does that look and feel? Yes, absolutely. So um, you uh, identify a space like a rooftop that's not otherwise being used in in a community. Um, The uh, insulation, the array of solar panels is put up on top of there. It feeds onto the same electrical grid that you get your power from. And it's a equal on, equal off. So if, if you are subscribing to that community solar array, you are using in your home an equivalent amount of energy to the amount of energy that's loaded onto the grid. And that's estimated, um, you know, annually how that transaction happens. But you experience on the other end the same kind of electrical use as you do today. So there's no real change in how you turn on and off your lights, turn on and off your your appliances in your home. But it seems like there there, there should be a significant amount of Maybe I want to say psychological, emotional benefit, because according to, as I understand it, at some point or some place near, people can actually see where their power is coming from because they'll get to see that array of solar panels. Absolutely. You can see, you know, nearby where it's coming from, the jobs created in your community. And what we're always interested in from a behavior change perspective is how to also make that visible for others. So right. um, how do you have the front yard sign, the sticker in your window, whatever, that lets other people know that your home is actually being powered by clean energy? Now, um, Brendan, l- last week, I think it was actually on Earth Day, there was a study that was uh, released that found that the number of people with the realization of the impact of climate change and or that climate change has increased 
that that number was increasing. But it also found that it seems as though they said there was a what I took to be a negative part is that it didn't see people willing to take any action. Are you familiar with that? Can you tell us more about those findings? Sure. I'd say overall, that's a trend that we find across all the studies is that over time, uh, like I'll cite uh, Yale's uh, program on climate change communication says, hey, a a majority of Americans are either alarmed or concerned about uh, climate change. So definitely over time, the the amount of concern uh, about climate change has been increasing. Um, But it tends not to be one of those top three issues for Americans that make it onto their short to-do list. Their personal economics, their health, things like that tend to be the immediacy of those issues tend to be the things that draw their attention and their energy. And so that's where they, the tools of like social norming are equipping people with, with the feeling like they could actually take these behaviors. And very importantly, helping them realize that a lot of these behaviors have the co-benefits they're there looking for today, the healthier lifestyle, um, the cleaner air, the, the pride that comes with um, knowing that your home is powered by community solar or other, other uh, electrification techniques. So uh, I think that's the path to bringing people along, t- translating the concern they have about climate into really doing something about it is equipping them and helping them realize it's going to it's going to benefit them today as well. And, and Trammell, one last thing with you before we go to any particular learnings or insights that you all have gleaned from putting on this year's uh, EarthX Expo and conferences yet? <laughs> I know they're not that oh. far behind you, <laughs> and you may not have had time to take a breath to, to think about it all, but any, anything that's yeah, popped as, out? As far as our own uh, statistics, uh, our attendance, our engagement, and so forth, we haven't gone through it enough, but we've had a, an amazing turnout internationally. And lo and behold, about 30 people from the Ukraine showed up in different organizations oh my. On, a, on a junket from the Ukraine, probably 15 uh, Latin American countries. So the international was a, a big surprise to us. Hmm. The uh, conferences were really well attended, and the United Nations was there, and they made some announcements, although I can't rattle them all off. <laughs> I'm interested in the, in the reports that Brendan was talking about. So it's, it's not just his organization. There are government reports mm-hmm. and international reports coming out on, on Earth Month, I suppose. Yes, yes. A lot is out there. And we just got to, like everybody says, we got to translate that into action. Yeah. And we just have um, two minutes to go before we're going to close out the segment in the show. Time always flies by fast. <laughs> and and so I want to go in this with Becca, uh, back to Becca and, and Luke. And, and that is to ask you, what are some of the potential challenges in investing in our outdoor recreation for the future of the planet are you all running into or seeing? That's a good question. I think a lot of the challenges are going to come from uh, that increasing use. You know, we have um, limited natural spaces, and as more and more people, you know, inhabit those spaces and recreate there, um, that has the potential for, you know, user conflicts or increased impacts and things like that. You know, as we mentioned earlier, as as recreation patterns shift, as things like, um, you know, water recreation or wildfires and flooding and all that affects where we recreate, um, that use is going to be more and more concentrated, possibly. So that challenge of um, getting everyone on the same page as to, you know, responsible behaviors in the outdoors and how to recreate um, in a way that respects 
the land, respects each other, is going to be um, probably the biggest challenge. Indeed, as and I, as you set it up there, a big area of friction, but like you said, it's a challenge for the future, is that indeed more people are being driven to our outdoor recreation spaces. You know, we're telling them it's good for health. Uh, COVID has gotten a lot of people interested. And so with that becomes that probably a very already uh, uh, demonstrably significant increase in use and more people there. So as more people flock in, as more people are in our outdoor nature spaces, how do we protect, preserve, and nurture them so that they thrive? We do believe that um, that everyone's entitled to enjoying the outdoors as long as they follow the seven principles of leave no trace. And we're all just kind of moving lightly throughout our visit, then there's room for everyone. Indeed, and that takes a lot of continued education, which is what most people on this, is what all of us here today do. Thank you all so much. As usual, time flies fast when it's an interesting conversation. We have been with Becca and Luke McGraw with Leave No Trace, part of their Subaru team. We've been with Brandon Shower with Rare. And we've been with Trammell Crow with EarthX as our guest co-host. Thank you all so much. You have made us smarter and hopefully you've made us all more sensitized and more encouraged to take care, better care of our planet Earth. And thank you all for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and even in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of them can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening in today and join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio and listen to any of our past shows on podcast wherever you get yours. Thank you. Mm-hmm.